Today, our text comes from Romans chapter 6, and the author shifts the focus slightly from a theological argument that he's been making to address some possible criticisms of what he's advocating, and in so doing, he shifts the focus a little bit from what's known as justification to sanctification, the way we live out our faith. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from Romans chapter 6. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him by baptism into death So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, growing up in Minnesota and often enjoying canoe trips up in the Boundary Waters area near the Canadian border, I've seen my share of bald eagles. They're magnificent to watch, but there's one sighting that I had of a bald eagle that I remember to this day. It happened several years ago. We were up in Ontario, Canada, we were fishing on Lac de Malac Lake, and this beautiful, large eagle flying over us and landing in a tree is etched in my memory. A bald eagle has a wingspan between 72 and 90 inches. That's either six or eight feet long. Now, I'm six foot three and a half. So my height is the wingspan of a small eagle. It can lift up to four pounds in its talons. It can fly at an altitude of 10,000 feet. It can reach speeds of 35 miles an hour in level flight. The bald eagle is a picture of strength, building her nest on the very top of the highest tree as if to advertise she's on top of the food chain itself. 
So when I hear the familiar text of Scripture from Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. I think of that spectacular bird, that bald eagle, who flies so effortlessly with incredible eyesight, watching from high above any movement of the unsuspecting prey below. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wouldn't it be fabulous to have some source of unending strength in this life? I mean, if you could have some kind of a formula that would keep you always energetic, never run down, always capable of moving forward in life, would you go for it? Power. We're we're fascinated with power. We're looking for new sources of power all the time. We have power drinks. We eat power bars. We attend seminars on powerful living. We seek to gain power over ourselves and our smoking or eating habits or other compulsions. We use power strips for our for our uh, electronic devices. Some may do power lifting to strengthen their bodies. We power up for public performances. And we amass awards and advanced degrees to increase our economic power. We even try to socialize with those who have star power in the hope that some of that may rub off on us. It's called power by association. Maybe the real reason we're fascinated with power is we know that we don't really have very much of it. Not over the things that matter to us. Not over the things that affect us the most. In this pandemic, we've certainly been learning that lesson. All our plans are on hold. This year, we have hopes for Thanksgiving and Christmas, not plans. There's a little prayer book that my wife and I have used for years by John Bailey. The morning of the ninth day of the month, here's the prayer. Here I am, O God, of little power, and yet lifting up heart and voice to you before whom all created things are as dust and a vapor. You are mysterious in your almighty power. And yet here I speak with you familiarly as a child to a parent, as a friend to a friend. And if I could not thus speak to you, then were I indeed without hope in the world. For it is little that I have power to do or to ordain. Not of my own will am I here and not of my own will shall I soon pass. And of all that shall come to me this day, very little will be such as I've chosen for myself. It is you, O hidden one, who does appoint my lot and determine the bounds of my habitation. It is you who has put power in my hand to do one work and has withheld the skill to do another. It is you who does keep in your grasp 
the threads of this day's life and who alone knows what lies before me to do or to suffer. But because you are my father, I'm not afraid. Because it's your own spirit that stirs within my spirit's inmost room, I know that all is well. End quote. Power. Power eludes us. It's the one thing to see a gathering storm cloud and look out the window and see this storm coming across the sea. That's one kind of knowledge. It's another thing to be on a sailboat on that sea and feel the power of the storm tossed every which way and fighting for your life. On the shore, you know a truth. But in the midst of the storm, you know the truth because you know its power. The first is information, but the second is experience. Some are content with mere information about faith, but not the author of Romans, not the Apostle Paul. He wants to know the experience and the power of the resurrection. Now, there are many today, especially, I think, among our young people who, like Paul, are not content to know only information about Christian faith. They, too, want to know its power. Not content to watch life from the shoreline, they long for the actual experience of faith. They watch closely to find examples of people who actually live what they say they believe, They're not interested in simply rehearsing the traditions of faith in places like this. They want to know its truth in the deepest sense of that word, the power of the resurrection in this life of the believer. Those of us who've grown accustomed to faith as a ritual that's only celebrated on special occasions would do well to listen to them Their idealism may actually lead us into a deeper experience of the power of faith. You know, immortality was an idea that's been around for some time before the time of Jesus. The Greeks wrote about it. Is Christian faith fundamentally about immortality? Do we celebrate because we've gained some assurance that life will continue on? Continued existence that we'll rise from the dead and go on in some future state, that's not the power of the resurrection. Paul meant much, much more than that. The power of resurrection was some great, powerful change to be accomplished on him and in him and it's the quality of life that's meant to be changed we're to be something new something altogether different not merely the same old person for just a little or perhaps even a great deal longer 
In fact, I suspect that there are many of us who are watching today that would consider the extension of life, the life we're living now, to be no great news at all. The infinite continuation of life, living purposeless or insignificant, struggling and thankless lives, where's the joy in any of that? Hearing the good news that we get to continue like this forever, would that be good news? No, you see, a resurrection that only extends our life but doesn't change it might feel more like a life sentence than a cause for real celebration. It cannot mean only the extension of life. It wasn't mere immortality. The power of good news, the power of resurrection, is the good news that it's coupled with regeneration. It's not life in the future, but life now that's affected. A new world is opened up with a new capacity for us to live differently. That's what Paul's writing about in Romans. We become new people living into a new age. The power of resurrection implies that we can walk in newness of life. As the apostle puts it, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. You see, Paul was not satisfied only to know a truth. He wanted to know the truth. He wasn't content to know an idea without also knowing its power and feeling its influence. There are different kinds of knowledge. I mean, something happens, I may hear of it. That's one kind of knowledge. The mind receives the information and it registers the fact, but it has no impact because it doesn't influence my actions or change my life in any significant way. I mean, I read the newspaper. I have knowledge of what's happening to others in other parts of the world. It doesn't affect me deeply. But let an incident that I'm reading about in the newspaper be about somebody I love and that I feel about deeply. It may motivate me to drop whatever I'm doing and run immediately to their side to comfort them or to be of some help in some way. Then you see, I know the power of the fact, of that truth. It changes my life. Resurrection goes well beyond the idea that there's something within us, some inherent quality within us that's indestructible. Resurrection implies that the God who created us can recreate us. And because God gave us life, God can give us life again in a different and a much deeper and much more fulfilling dimension of life. So Paul asks the question, shall we remain in sin? Absolutely not. Emphatically not. Why? 
Because for the first time, because of Jesus Christ, we're no longer enslaved by sin. We can choose. We've died to sin in our baptism, and now we get to choose something better, something more life-giving, something even more powerful than sin. God's grace and God's love. In this life, we can overcome sin, and in life to come, we overcome death. Thanks to the sacrifice of Christ to win our freedom from both sin and death. Baptism alters our past, but it also alters our future. Recently this week, I was in conversation with a good friend of mine who just lost his mother. And we have now both lost our mothers who passed from this life to the life to come in just the last couple of months. For both of us, our mothers were our last surviving parent. So there's now no buffer between us, between the between us and the end of life we now are on the front line we took a moment on the phone to honor our parents and he asked me a question he asked what is it you loved most about your father and what is it you love most about your mother and then i asked him the very same question and in our responses we recognize that we both respected our parents a great deal for what they stood for and the values that they shared with us and that have now become part of our lives. From a very early age, they taught us that it doesn't matter what others think and it doesn't matter how your friends behave. You will tell the truth. You will live with integrity. Honesty will be at the foundation of your life because you belong to us and you share the name O'Grady. Our parents were examples of what they expected in us and we respected them for it. We're grateful that God gave us the parents that God gave us And we're grateful for what passed from their lives into our lives. Now that they're gone, would we disregard their instruction? We could do so without impunity or with impunity. There's nobody there to to discipline us. Would we reject their values? Of course not. We now see the importance of those values and the choices that we've made consistent with those values through the years have served us well. Romans is urging the faithful to embody the values of the kingdom of God. Be done with your broken past. Get unstuck from the stuff that's tripped you up and the choices that you've made in the past. In Christ, you have the ability to make better choices. 
you can walk in newness of life. Our baptism washes away the brokenness of the past. Sin no longer has a stranglehold on us. So don't let it enslave you anymore. Resurrection is no far off promise. It's a present gift. It's not the offer of hope for the next life only. It's an offer of hope for this one. The influence of eternal life can reside with us here and now and work in and through us every day of our lives. So those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Will you join me in prayer? You, O Lord, are mysterious in your almighty power. Yet here we speak with you familiarly as a child to a parent, as a friend to a friend. And if we could not thus speak to you, then we were indeed without hope in the world. For it's little that we have the power to do or to ordain. It's you who does keep in your grasp the threads of this day's life and who alone knows what lies before us to do or to suffer. But because you are our Father, we're not afraid. Because it is your own spirit that stirs within our, in, our spirit's inmost room. We know that all is well. Thanks be to God. Amen.